welcome back to Beyond Health Podcast. This is Brett, and we're back with another episode. Um, I've been a little quiet lately, uh, just been crazy, crazy busy with uh, everything else going on, and I uh, actually have a whole bunch of podcasts that are ready to roll. So I'm hoping that with any luck, I will be uh, releasing more podcasts, and by that I mean not even just one a week. I'm hoping to uh, start cranking out two a week, uh, because I've got so much good stuff to share with you uh, coming up. Um you know, I'll keep my intro short today, but uh, this is a live presentation that I did with our local community, uh, the whole health community, and this was the whole health fair. And I got to say, what a day, you know, for, for so long, uh, so many of us who have rejected some of the things that have come down the pipeline and stuck to our guns have felt so isolated and so alone. And uh, as the last few months have unfolded, I've really started to uh, connect with like-minded people in our community, in our space. And uh, we finally, you know, months ago, uh, we were sitting at uh, someone's house and I, I said, you know, we've got to do a fair. We've got to do some kind of health show or fair or something like that. And here we are a few short months later and we actually had this fair, which was amazing. So we had uh, 220 people uh, sign up to attend. And I think all of those people showed up and we literally sold out um, the event. We had vendors. Uh, it was really, really cool. It was a good, good um, uh, energy, good vibe to be in. But there was something that happened at the end of the day, which really touched my heart and struck a chord. And we'd had this sort of shamanic uh, ceremony that was led by one of our members. And uh, during the ceremony, uh, it, you know, there was there was drumming, there was chanting, there was all sorts of stuff going on. But during that ceremony, it was about, I don't know, a few dozen people, maybe 60, 70 people sat around in a circle. And what happened was at some point in that ceremony, you know, the, one of the intentions was to sort of release a lot of the negative things that we've been holding on to from, well, from life, but also from the past few years. And to put that up and offer that up in the circle. And what was so powerful to me was that people went around the circle and all it was was two or three words that you had to just say and verbalize. And I was brought to tears because, you know, you, you hear how people have been traumatized, how they've been ostracized, the, um, the impact that these measures have had on their lives. And they've lost jobs, the fractures in relationships, the rejection and, you know, this is why I was brought to tears because I just sat there and I'm like, wow, you know, we're not alone. And, and there's so many people out there that are experiencing this, that are suffering from this and that are trying to get over this in one way or another. And I think that we've got a lot of healing. We've got a lot of, of work to do here as a society to repair some of these fractures that have opened up over the last two or three years. So this lecture... I don't even like to say lecture, but presentation is all about uh, long COVID, quote unquote, and mostly about vaccine adverse events. I'm sure I'm going to get flagged to hell and back here for saying these things. But nonetheless, the goal here is not to ramp up the fear. The goal is to educate ourselves, to become aware of what is going on, and then to uh, implement some tools to help yourself. And I just want to say a couple of things. This is not, you know, we, we don't know exactly what we're doing here, to be perfectly honest. 
We don't know. We've got some things that we know. We've got a lot of things we don't know. And we've got some things that we think we know, right? But the point is that there's a lot of people that are suffering from adverse effects that are starting to notice that their health has taken a turn since getting the injections. And they're trying to figure out what to do about it, right? And so all I'm offering up in this presentation is some tools that you can look into. You can try them and you can try and help yourself. These are non-destructive tools. These are things that uh, do not have crazy side effects. They're relatively inexpensive in the grand scheme of things, and they're safe. So if you're looking for ways to support yourself, um, listen on. Yeah, I, I, I think that's about it. I think that's where I want to leave it for this. Um, and I hope you get something out of this, right? And so what I've done as well is I've also taken the slide deck for that presentation because I know sometimes the words and the supplements and everything else get a little bit crazy to try and jot down. And so uh, you can click through onto the show notes onto the website and you can actually download that presentation, uh, which I don't normally do. Um, but uh, take that on board, go and look into things. And uh, the last thing that I wrap up with here is looking into some of the nanotechnology um, that people like Dr. David Nixon have been looking into. And I think that this is where we need to start focusing our efforts, to be honest with you. Um, yes, supporting inflammation and immunity and all that stuff is great. But I think that there's some bigger fish coming down the pipeline that we're going to have to start paying attention to. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. And uh, thank you to my local community who I'm sure are listening to this. Um, I love you all. And I uh, thank you so much for your support, your community, your camaraderie. This is really just the beginning. This is event number one. And I know that we've got some more things uh, planned. All right. Uh, if you do find this information valuable, I would encourage you to share this with your friends, with your family, with people maybe close to you who are looking for support in this area. And um, yeah, as always, leave us a review, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the show. And uh, yeah, here we go. Hello. So... Yeah, I think that should be good. I think that's good, just because this thing will not work otherwise. So I'm actually going to just skip forward here and in the interest of time, share with you what's on the agenda for today that I want to I cover. I'm not going to get into things like germ theory versus terrain theory, because we could be here for a long time. I'm also not going to get into whether viruses exist or not or anything like that. All right, so I would like to, I have an hour, that's about it. So I would like to just keep us on point. And my intention today is to unpack a couple of things for people who may be experiencing side effects or adverse events or adverse effects from the injections themselves. I would also like to talk a little bit more about how to support yourself. So whether it's general detoxification, whether it's detoxification specific to things like spike proteins, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about nanotechnology and I would like to, by the end of this presentation, give you a bit of a sense of what might be coming down the horizon. And I'll just say another big bold disclaimer here is that I'm not trying to scare the living daylights out of you. Okay, that's not what we're doing here. We've all been terrorized in one way or another. So, but we need to understand what we're dealing with in order to address it, right? If you don't know what you're dealing with and you're just sticking your head in the sand, when it comes time to addressing these things and helping yourself, you're going to be throwing mud at the wall and it may work and it may not work. And I've seen protocols out there for, the, for what we're going to talk about here that are, are unreasonable and undoable for most people. Okay. No one can take 50 or 60 supplements every day 
you don't have the money for it, one. Okay, and even if you do, you don't have the bandwidth or the time to take all of that, right? So what I'm gonna teach you is stuff that's a bit more efficient. I'm gonna explain to you why and how it works, and then we're gonna go from there. All right, so the goal today is empowerment, but we also need to understand what we're dealing with. Alrighty, so what is COVID? It's a, it's a good question to ask at this road, right? We're three years in, what the hell is COVID, right? So I'm gonna give you some of the, what we know and some of what we don't know and some of what we think we know, okay? So first of all, when we talk about the spike protein, that has been the thing since day one, right? Spike protein. And the spike protein binding specifically to something called ACE2 receptors. ACE2 receptors, by the way, are located all over the body. Right, so we have ACE2 receptors, and this is straight out of the literature in the respiratory tract, so the lungs, right, in the nasal passages, in the small intestine, and the heart. Okay, plus kidneys, plus brain. So the point is that when the spike protein attaches to these ACE2 receptors, and it's going to differ from person to person, which is why the symptoms are different, what's then going to happen is you're going to trigger inflammation as the first sign of healing, right? So the body's going to kick in. It's gonna trigger this inflammatory cascade. And this is what some people might refer to as the cytokine storm. So this is gonna produce a lot of the symptoms that we all know. And the problems with the diagnosis of COVID, which I'm sure I don't have to tell a lot of people, is that when you're using PCR tests at a very, very high cycle threshold, right? So first of all, they're non-specific, And when you're running them at cutoffs of 35 and above, which is as per the Canadian Journal of Virology, that's what we've done in Canada. So the diagnosis of COVID is a little bit all over the place. I'm just glossing through this because I know a lot of you will know this already. How does mRNA technology work? Simply put, what you have, this is straight out of Pfizer, by the way. Okay, so this is their documentation. Essentially what you have is mRNA, which is messenger RNA, and this contains instructions. And as this enters the cell, it basically says to the cell, make spike protein, right? Or a fragment of that spike protein. And from there, just like with a lot of traditional vaccines, the point is to elicit an immune response. So in other words, for your immune system to sort of go, hey, here is spike protein A, right, that your body has produced, and now my immune system can identify that and it can target it, and that provides immunity. Supposedly. Right, and you'll see that I've highlighted a couple of things here. Right, instructions that cells can use to make spike protein. I have some questions around this. Like, does this ever shut off? That's a good question to ask, right? And no one's been able to really tell us yet. Does this ever stop? Don't know. How long, if it doesn't stop, how long does it carry on for? Also not sure, right? So we'll elaborate that in just a minute. But here's something else you can see up here. The cells use the mRNA instructions to produce a viral protein, right? And now I kind of wonder to myself, if I'm running PCR tests, what are the PCR tests looking for? They're looking for spike protein, correct? That's how they've been programmed. This is a synthetic mRNA sequence. And what most people don't realize is that that synthetic sequence is not unique to SARS-CoV-2. We actually have about 84 other pathogens and organisms in the body, plus body tissue, that will have snippets of that code. And I believe this is why we had such high cases, right? We were in a case demic for how long? 
right? So this is why we had such high cases, but very low fatality rates, very low hospitalizations, very low symptoms, right? Remember, you all walked around with no symptoms, but you were sick. How long did that carry on for? All right, still now. So there's a lot of problems with that. And when we get into the injections themselves, as I said earlier, continued and prolonged exposure. Remember this, the spike protein, this is not me saying this, this is what everyone knows. The spike protein was the thing that caused damage, right? Isn't that what everyone's trying to do, right? Trying to block the spike protein, trying to stop it from binding and all this crazy stuff. My question has always been, if I'm telling my body to make the spike protein, is that not also gonna cause problems, right? It doesn't, it's, it's not that hard to think through it. And yes, it's a fragment, I get that, it's a fragment. So I'm not here saying that it's going to trigger all of the symptoms. However, you're literally telling your body to make spike protein. So it's not a huge leap to say, hey, could this be triggering a lot of the symptoms? And we'll talk about long COVID in a minute. So continuous triggering of immune system and inflammatory compounds. Here's something to think about with long COVID. We've all heard of long COVID, yeah. You know, I wonder, is long COVID simply vaccine side effects? That's one way to think of it. That's one way to think of it, right? Another way to think of it, I did an interesting podcast with a guy by the name of Ashok Gupta. Okay, Ashok Gupta, he's a researcher, doctor from the UK. And he, a very fascinating podcast because there was a lot of overlap with the work that we did. But one of the things that I gleaned from his programs and teachings and, and research, he's got peer-reviewed research, he suggests that long COVID is your brain and your limbic system and your subconscious, right? Can you imagine this? You get presented with a threat, okay? So this would be SARS, this would be whatever it is, right? Vaccines. You get presented with a threat, and then what happens is your brain and your limbic system and your subconscious say there's a threat, attack. Okay, so we now mount, mount this immune response. And then what happens is after the pathogen or the threat has left, your limbic system still behaves as if that threat was there. So people with autoimmune issues, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, neurodegenerative illnesses, chronic infections. We see this pattern a lot, and I work with autoimmune disease, right, in, in clinic. So we see these patterns a lot, and this is why settling down the nervous system, getting the limbic system to settle down, and actually doing brain retraining can really help to settle the immune response down. Okay, so for things like long COVID, this would, you know, at least it's a good entry point, let's put it that way. ACE2 receptors triggering leads to mitochondrial damage. Right, so the mitochondria are the powerhouses in our body. These inside the cells, this is what makes oxygen in the body. Hmm, oxygen. Isn't COVID a disease of hypoxia? Right, so low oxygen levels. All right, okay, interesting. So high number of mitochondria in the heart and the muscles. So now we got everyone that's presenting with myocarditis and pericarditis and heart issues, right? Okay, so again, if the shots are telling my body to produce spike protein, those spike proteins have a natural affinity for ACE2 receptors, and if they bind to the ones in my heart, what is it gonna do? It's gonna trigger inflammation, et cetera, in the heart. That's exactly what, that, that's what myocarditis is. Okay, so 
how do they cause damage part two? Suppression and derailment of the immune system. You know, people like Geert van den Bosch, and again, I'm not, another thing I'm not getting into today is things like controlled opposition, whatever, right? This is a guy that said very early on that your immune system is being programmed, and the best way to explain it is you are coding to produce a, an immune response for spike protein A, right? The original Wuhan strain. Not for spike protein B or C or D or any of the variants that would come after. So what would then happen is if I'm coding to go after spike protein A, then what would happen is parts of my immune system would become suppressed, right? So it's not that you're just laser focusing on this one thing, you're actually suppressing other components. And is it any wonder now that we're starting to see people who've been in remission with cancer for 10, 15, 20 years? Now all of a sudden the cancer is coming back, right? So what, what these are doing is they're turning off those cancer suppression cells as well. Okay, and we're starting to see that, that's in the literature, that's not me making it up. Unfortunately, I had a conversation with my mother last week. She's lost so many friends in the last month. So many, right? And she knows what's going on, right? And she just said, man, I can't believe it. And most of them are dying from cancer. Okay, no, either no history of cancer before, or they had a history of cancer that's now becoming reactivated. So these are things that we really need to start paying attention to, right? It's not just conspiracy theories anymore. Autoimmune issues, I mean, an autoimmune issue is simply put, your body attacking itself, or a non-recognition of self. You know, I've been speaking up against vaccines for many years, long before COVID, right? I got shadow banned and deplatformed from Facebook in 2018 already. And, thank you, congratulations, yeah, awesome. Yeah, all right. You know, what does a vaccine do? Just like in lay terms, what does it do? Doesn't it trick your immune system? It tricks your immune system. It fools your immune system to think that there's something there when there's nothing there. What is an autoimmune disease? A confused immune system that's attacking your own body tissues instead of the foreign invader? Again, in simple English, when you understand these concepts, it's not that difficult to piece some of this stuff together. Allergies to polyethylene glycol or PEG. Yeah, you know, this is something, again, posted this, like, early on. Everyone's like, you're crazy, and then you bring up the Wikipedia file. Go onto Wikipedia and look up PEG allergies and tell me what you see. 70% of the global population have antibodies against PEG. Let me say that again. 70% of the global population have antibodies against PEG. That means that 70% of the population, to some degree or another, has an allergy against PEG. Weren't the medical exemptions in the beginning, didn't they say if you have an allergy to an ingredient? Well, 70% of people apparently do. I don't think we hit 70% exemptions though, if I'm not mistaken. All right. When you have an allergy to PEG though, or anything else, a true allergy, it's going to be an immediate response, right? So that, those are the people that you get an injection and something immediate happens. Okay, and you know it's, di it's directly correlated. When you get into stuff like autoimmune disease and so on, it, it's longer, right? And I think that what we're starting to see now, one to three years was the time range that I was looking at early on. 
and we're in that window right now. And that's why we're starting to see more and more people present with these types of adverse events. Graphene oxide depletes glutathione, so we'll talk about graphene oxide a little bit later today. Right? And again, everyone's like, oh, conspiracy theorists. I'm like, okay, I'll show you articles. I've actually screenshotted just a couple from the literature. They've been researching graphene oxide for 20 years. Right? This is not, there's nothing conspiratorial about it at all. And long-term changes to genes. Holy smokes. This is something that's only been done in vitro or in test tubes. But basically, what they're showing now is that cells can actually incorporate that mRNA that's found in the shots through something called reverse transcriptase, which is an enzyme, and actually become incorporated into the cell. And when you start looking at people out there like Todd Callender, who's a lawyer in the US, he actually has a lawsuit going on, which is going to sound very wild. It's a, it's a lawsuit. It's in the courts, right, for altered human beings. Because now you are essentially modified and they can patent you, okay? This is in the courts, so th that's how crazy it is, right? But anyway, I'm not throwing too much weight onto that one because for the simple fact that we don't know yet, right? This is all in vitro. But I do find it interesting that Moderna, the company Moderna, do you know what the name stands for? Modification, that's the mod, R is, sorry, modification of endogenous, that's the E, endogenous means inside you, RNA. So the modification, the changing of endogenous RNA inside you, that is literally their name. And all of the pharmaceuticals that they've been working on since their inception have all been around RNA therapy. And we have a lot more to come, so they're still working on this stuff. So the ingredients that we want to talk about, ingredients, right, compounds, however you want to frame that, spike protein, lipid nanoparticles, and the graphene oxide. The spike protein and the graphene oxide are the ones that I want to focus on the most, all right, because the lipid nanoparticles, and there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out now where they are showing problems related to long-term fertility, Okay, and so on, but the, and the allergies and what have you. But the, the thing that I've learned is that the lipid nanoparticles, for the most part, they are rapidly degraded. Okay, so they break down fairly quickly. If you look at the history of development, nanoparticles used to be very, very toxic back in the day. So much so that they would actually kill the, the test animals and that, and they had to work for a long time to lower that toxicity threshold. You know, one has to then question things like repeated boosters, Right? And what we're going to discover, not in this talk, but pay attention to what's happening out there because you're going to see that pretty well all future vaccine developments that they're working on are all going to be mRNA technology, all of them. They're not working on any more live attenuated or any traditional shots. They're all going to be mRNA moving forward. And mRNA must have lipid nanoparticle carriers in order for them to work. Right? Without the, the nanoparticles, you can't deliver the mRNA. All right, but nonetheless, we're going to talk about spike protein, and we'll talk about graphene oxide and some other things. So before we get into that, you know, I see a lot of people out there that are, are literally clamoring to figure out which supplements they need. Anyone here? If I looked at your cupboard, what would you, what would I find? Yeah, I teach students as well, and they're like shopping bags full of supplements, right? So, but, but before you do that, we know already 
that comorbidities, right? So obesity, diabetes, pre-existing heart disease, right? So if you have any of these issues going on already, it's usually a good idea to start working on those things first, right? And not worry so much about all of these other things you want to plug in, because that's really foundational stuff, right? So switching over to organics, Whole Foods, okay, not Whole Foods, the company, AKA Amazon, yeah, not them, no, we're talking about Whole Foods, like from the earth, all right? So eating as close to nature as possible, cutting out the processed foods, eating whole foods, following an anti-inflammatory type of diet, Okay, and there's many different theories on that. But nonetheless, getting your inf inflammatory load down. A good way, just as a side note, if you want to actually measure your inflammation, is you can look at something called C-reactive protein, or CRP, which some of you might know of. That's readily available on blood work, and that'll give you a pretty good benchmark in terms of what your total load is. Getting your blood sugar under control, huge. You know, I would say about 75% of the people that I work with in clinic have derailed blood sugar, right? And once your blood sugar starts going off, that's when you're going to start to have problems with weight, right? Energy. The number one complication from type 2 diabetes is heart disease, okay? So all of those things, when your blood sugar is out of whack, it, all, it opens the door to a lot of these comorbidities that we've, that we've all known about. Losing weight if need be, sweating, so an infrared sauna, huge, right? Infrared sauna is huge. Exercising, all that good stuff. And then improving sleep, right? There's a lot of research that's been done with melatonin as a supplement. But I always look at people and some of the tests I run, I can actually see what their melatonin levels look like, right, on the tests. And I see that, you know, if you're looking at screens all night long and you're being exposed to a lot of blue light, and then during the day we're sitting inside, okay, your circadian rhythm is completely thrown out of whack. And what that's going to do is it's going to suppress the production of melatonin by you. So before we go out and start slamming back melatonin, it's usually a good idea from a general health standpoint to try and work on our sleep hygiene and to just have better sleeping habits, get into better rhythms, whether it's blue light blocking glasses, right? Whatever it is. We'll talk about EMFs a little bit later. When it comes to detox support, you know, I see a lot of protocols out there for vaccine detoxification, right? I'm just going to say that very loosely. And what I've noticed about a lot of them is they look like this. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with this. But this, in my world anyway, this is very general. And general is a good place to start. You can see the ones that I've highlighted here and underlined. Those are the ones that I would place more emphasis on. N-acetylcysteine or NAC, we'll show you a couple of things here in a minute with regards to spike protein specifically. But N-acetylcysteine is a precursor to glutathione, which is also highlighted there. Glutathione is one of your body's most powerful antioxidants that you produce. And in addition to being an antioxidant, it's also a very powerful anti-inflammatory. Right? Remember, what we're dealing with here is a hyperimmune response with lots of inflammation going on. Okay, so, and of course we all know that the liver is the filter of the body, right? So the liver has to process all toxins. It doesn't matter where it comes from. 
And if you want to get your total body burden down, so in other words, your total load, working on your liver is a really good place to start. You can see I've listed some other ones there, dandelion, artichoke, turmeric, bile salts, sulfur foods, so those would be eggs, broccoli, cauliflower, all the anti-cancer type of foods are rich in sulfur. Probiotics and prebiotics, I'm not gonna add too much there. Anti-inflammatory stuff is huge. All right, so omega-3 oils, I put fish oils, and sorry, just to sidestep here for a minute. As you go through this presentation, just pay attention to recurring themes. Okay, so what you're gonna see is when we get to things like myocarditis, when we get to mitochondrial support, when we start talking about some of these other things, you're gonna see some usual suspects that will keep on popping up over and over. Okay, so omega-3 fish oils, if you're vegan, there are DHA algae type of supplements out there, so there's vegan fish oil, which is equally as good. Turmeric and curcumin, ginger, bromelain is particularly effective, by the way, and we'll talk more about that when we look at spike proteins in just a minute. And good old favorites here, vitamin C and quercetin. Okay, quercetin has been doing the rounds for a long time during the pandemic, and for good reason. But vitamin C, interestingly, 90% of hospitalized COVID patients had undetectable levels of vitamin C in their blood. Isn't that crazy to think? Undetectable. I never realized how rampant vitamin C deficiency was until I started running functional lab tests and the vitamin C just happened to be on some of them. And I'm like, wow. Like I would say more than 50% of people that I've run tests on, like they're deficient in vitamin C. And it's one of those things that's so cheap, it's so easy, it's broad spectrum health benefits, you know. I think it's something that everyone can do. Kersetin I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. And of course, when it comes to immune support, I just want to linger here for a minute. For me, immune support, this is a very important thing to wrap your head around. We're not talking about immune boosting. Okay, really important. Because if you have an autoimmune issue, your immune system is attacking yourself, correct? If I wrap that up, you're actually going to make the, immune, the autoimmune issue worse. Okay, so we're not, you'll notice there's no echinacea on there, right? Echinacea is a booster. What you'll see on this list here are what are called immunomodulators. Okay, so immunomodulators are balancers. Okay, so if, you know, when people think of immune system, they think of this thing, right? It's the immune system. When I think of the immune system, I go, huh, there's all of these branches of the immune system, right? And so you're gonna have some of those branches that are maybe hyper, you're gonna have some that are hypo or low, and some that are normal. And so when you start looking at things like vitamin D, again, so much literature, so, so many peer-reviewed studies on vitamin D and COVID. See, not so much zinc, but medicinal mushrooms, right? Very, very powerful. So you'll see I've listed, this is, is probably the only brand I'm gonna list here, is Host Defense, which is uh, Paul Stamets. Anyone heard of Paul Stamets? Mr. Mushroom. Yeah, the guy's been studying mushrooms for like 50 years, right? Tripped out, yeah. So anyway, he, he has this particular formula here which is called My Community. And I used to do education for them and training. And I've looked at the literature on that. They've actually done trials on both Stamets 7 and My Community. And what I like about it is it's a blend of about 17 or 19 mushrooms. 
And what that does is any parts of the immune system that are low, it will bring them up. Any parts that are high, it will help to tamp it down. And then what we've seen in some of the literature with that is that the natural, kill natural killer cells, macrophages, some of these white blood cells, which is our first line of defense, it will bring them right back into range if your immune system is depressed, which is pretty cool, all right? So I've used that a fair bit over the years. I've taken it myself and I really, I really like it. But vitamin D is a huge one, right? We all know that. Okay, so a true immunomodulator. So that's just regular D or D3? D3, sorry, D3. I know I sometimes write the shorthand expecting that people know what I'm talking about. So D3 is the way to go. And you could also use that with vitamin K2. Okay, so it often comes together. Usually better to do it that way, just by the way. Okay, so D3 and K2 together. So here, you'll notice that I put spike protein detoxification in quotation marks because the truth of the matter is that we don't really know how long these stick around for. There's no good literature to sort of say, are we detoxifying this, right? So are we actually removing this from the body? That part we don't know. But what we do know is that there are nutraceuticals and natural compounds that can help to do some of these functions, right? So horsetail or stinging nettle herb prevents the spike proteins from docking to the ACE2 receptors. That sounds pretty good, right? Zinc and quercetin works like hydroxychloroquine. I thought it didn't work though. Oh man, huge smear campaign on hydroxychloroquine in the early days, right? Of course, you know, I broke the story with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. Anyone heard of him before? Some people, super smart guy. And I said to Jack, I said, check this out. These guys are rolling out this thing called an emergency use authorization. And he was like, oh, okay. I said, no, I'm reading the fine print. And the fine print says that the only way they can roll out an emergency use authorization for anything is if there's no other viable treatment options. This was before the vaccines were even around. And I said to him, do you think, just, you know, spidey senses are up, do you think that maybe they're gonna try and pull a fast one and they're gonna smear everything else in favor of the shots? Well, look at what happened, right? And you go and look at the background on hydroxychloroquine, why is it that people in Africa, right? Go look at the COVID cases there, rock bottom. Right, rock bottom, and they're taking that as, as a malaria prophylactic, as a preventative. All right, wild. Anyway, zinc and quercetin, when you combine them together, they actually work very much like hydroxychloroquine in that they can, and again, whether viruses or exist or not is another conversation, but what they do is they prevent a viral replication inside the cell. Which is a compound, it's an enzyme from pineapples, together with NAC, which we discussed earlier, Right, so this actually inactivates the virus, okay, or we could say the spike protein. You can see NAC again results in a threefold weakening in the binding affinity of spike protein. NAC increases antioxidant capacity, interferes with viral replication, and suppresses expression of pro-inflammatory cytokines in cells. That all sounds really good, right? So a lot of people have been taking NAC to prevent COVID, right? Okay, I'm gonna suggest that you start taking NAC moving forward, because what NAC does is it's the building block for glutathione. 
okay, which is that powerful antioxidant. Very good for the liver. There's a number of other health benefits there. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to take it alone, right? I mean, there's, there's compounds out there, there's formulations out there that combine that with turmeric, with curcumin, with dandelion, etc. All right, so you don't have to take that in isolation. You won't see ivermectin on my list, no. No, ivermectin, yeah. I'm not gonna get into it today, if that's okay. Yeah. Ivermectin is a very interesting compound. Okay, and there's research now, I forget who the guy that's been unearthing all of this stuff, that I think that ivermectin was a, was a bit of a red herring. Not to say that it doesn't work, but there are actual serious side effects from taking ivermectin ongoing. Okay, whether that was done through nefarious reasons or whether someone simply didn't know, I'm not sure. All right. But nonetheless, it's pharmaceutical. And, and I'm not anti-pharma, don't get me wrong, I'm not like anti-medication. Like if you're gonna you know, drop dead and you need antibiotics, you should probably take them. It's okay, it'll save your life. But I think that when it comes to things like that, you know, simply taking ivermectin on a weekly basis as a prophylactic, that's where I'll put my terrain theory hat on and I'll say strengthen your terrain. Right, work on the, work on the ground floor stuff first. All right, myocarditis. Dun, dun, dun. Right. It's so crazy to me that we're here now and I went online as I'm prepping for this and I go and look up myocarditis, right? Just like search around. Man, you can go through the first 50 pages of any search engine and you will not find anything about myocarditis related to vaccines at all. Right? It has literally been swept right under the carpet. But let's have a look at what myocarditis actually is. Right? So an enlarged inflamed heart and heart lining. Didn't we say earlier that the heart had lots of ACE2 receptors? Okay, didn't we say that the spike protein combined to the ACE2 receptors? Alright, funny that. Symptoms include chest pain, fatigue, Swelling of the legs, ankles, and feet. Rapid or irregular heartbeat. I have someone that I know recently, lives elsewhere, get rushed to hospital for heart problems. Out of the blue, right? 40 years old, no prior health issues at all. Two Pfizer shots, and a year and a half later, boom, rushed to hospital, all of the above. Okay. Now, the problem with that is that how do you correlate that, right? That's the problem, and that's a very convenient scapegoat, right? Because if you're only tracking side effects for 28 days or six weeks at the most, anything that happens after that is not related. And that is a perfect, I mean, can you imagine if I had a business like that? Sweet. A business where everyone, the product only works if everyone takes it. And then the company's not liable for anything that would happen as a result. Wow. I gotta get on that action, it's crazy. Shortness of breath, lightheadedness, and flu-like symptoms. All right, so here's the causes. When you go onto the Mayo Clinic, you go onto Wikipedia, anywhere else, right? I, I, I'm purposely choosing mainstream sources here so that we're all on the same page. Viruses, many different types of viruses. Bacteria, fungi, candida, mold, parasites, chemicals, radiation, or toxins certain medications and autoimmunity. I want to pull out a couple of things. One, the virus, obviously. Okay, and two, autoimmunity. 
and three, radiation. Like what's going on right now out there? Are people concerned about electromagnetic radiation? Are people concerned about 5G radiation? All right. Are people developing autoimmunity as a result? I mean, look, I've been in this space for a long time and let me tell you something. I never saw autoimmune cases like I'm seeing nowadays. Never. So much so that when I got into practice, I didn't set out to be an autoimmune specialist at all. I was like, well, there's other people that have written books and there's experts and whatever. I'll just kind of continue on my way. And then I had to learn it because everyone starts coming in and they're like, holy smokes, I got autoimmunity. Here's, here's something to consider. Two points with autoimmune disease. One, if you want to map autoimmunity out with an increase in the vaccine schedule, it plots very, very well. I'm not just talking COVID shots, I'm talking about all shots, right? And those, that childhood schedule that you've seen, right, where when we were kids, a lot of us that are older here, when we were kids, it was like six shots in your whole life. Now, what is it, 72, 64, something like that? Okay, so watch what happens when you start plotting that together with the rise in autoimmune disease. The second thing is to plot the use of Roundup or glyphosate. I've had Dr. Stephanie Senna for my podcast a couple of times. It plots perfectly, right? And then correlation doesn't equal causation. I'm like, okay, find something else then. Because nothing else seems to plot as well, right? So we need to look at these things in the context of what else is going on, right? Because I think that it's not just the shots, right? Because look, we all know plenty of people that took the jabs. Fine, fair enough, freedom of choice. Right? Not everyone had side effects. Not everyone had the same side effects. Okay? So we can't look at it and say, this is going to cause this thing over here in everyone that takes it. It's not like that. We have to look at it and say, what else is going on? What is your toxic load? Yeah, what is your radiation levels like? Do you have gut infections and stuff going on in your body? And that's why I keep coming back to this idea that if you strengthen the terrain, you're going to be in a much better position to ward off pretty much anything, but also you will find, I'm willing to bet, I haven't looked at this, but I'm willing to bet that the people that fared the worst from the shots are probably the people that had comorbidities and pre-existing issues because their terrain was already weak and then you double down, triple down, quadruple down. Are we on like five or six now? I forget, depends where you are. Yeah. So question is, do I recommend copper to go with zinc? If you're going to take it long term, yes, because the zinc will deplete the copper over time. Yeah, good question. So yeah, it's important to look at all of these things in the context of everything else going on. But here are the complications from myocarditis or pericarditis, right? Heart failure, heart attack or stroke, irregular heartbeat and sudden cardiac death. Again, this is taken from the Mayo Clinic. This is not me making it up. I don't know if you athletes recently, right? The thing that blows my mind with all of this, it's like, you know, people are watching it all go down in real time and still it's like, like, like just, I, I don't understand, to be honest with you. And here's what it is. It's because people don't want to face the reality that this is what actually happened, right? The truth is hard. The truth's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. And to admit that you were wrong, and this is not about whether you're wrong or right, 
but to admit that you made a mistake and to admit that you might have to deal with some complications moving forward, people would rather stick their head in the sand and not deal with it. Okay? I have no judgment towards anyone. I, and I say that honestly and humbly, right? I've worked on myself a lot over the pandemic. I've gone through hell and back over the pandemic. Everyone goes, oh, it must be nice to know everything, right? Because everything I've predicted has happened. And everyone goes, it must be nice. And I go, do you, think, do you think it must be nice? Yeah, when you post out there in the beginning and you're the only person talking about this stuff and you just get slammed, you lose friends. It affects your business. My website's been hacked more times than I care to know. I've had to hire a cyber security expert and so on and so forth. So it's not always nice to know these things, right? But here's the thing, if you do know them, forewarned is forearmed. So you can now take action if you are the person, right, that maybe you were coerced. How many people were coerced? Lots of people. I would say 50% of the population were coerced. They realized that they had no risk. They didn't want to take the shots and they did it because they wanted to keep their jobs and support their family. I get that. I get it. But now, as you move through and we look in the rearview mirror and you start presenting with some of this stuff, Now's the time to say, hey, I got some tools here. I've got some tools that I can bring in that can actually help support my heart, my inflammation, my detoxification, etc., etc. So when it comes to heart, there's so many things that you can do. There's amino acids like arginine, carnitine. Arginine is a really good one, by the way. It's a precursor to something called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator, right? So it, it basically just relaxes all of the arteries and it relaxes the heart. So you can actually take arginine, carnitine, taurine, you can take these things on a daily basis. Magnesium and potassium, so really good minerals. A vitamin C and D, which we've discussed, CoQ10. The carnitine and the CoQ10 really help because the heart is a muscle, right? It really helps the heart cells to breathe properly, okay, to work better with oxygen. Fish oils, once again, berberine. Berberine is an amazing compound, by the way, right? Straight out of golden seal, Oregon grape, there's a bunch of herbs that have that in there. Amazing for the liver, amazing for blood sugar, and amazing for what are called your lipid profiles, right? So if you look at your cholesterol, your triglycerides, blood pressure, stuff like that, berberine is really, really good. And then some of the classic herbs here, hawthorn berry, arjuna, which is an Ayurvedic herb, and reishi mushroom. Anyone ever seen reishi in the wild? You ever seen a reishi? What does it look like? Looks like a heart, right? Yeah, black, red. Okay, one of the, it's the number one most widely consumed medicinal mushroom on the planet. They call it the mushroom of immortality. Okay, so it looks like a heart. All right, this is a heart repair cocktail. So you can take that down if you want. A lot of the same sort of things there, but maybe with some dosages for you to help you out. If you have fibromyalgia, you don't have to put your hand up because I don't like putting people on the spot. But if you have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, or sore muscles, the D-ribose will make a huge difference for you, by the way. And then glycine also helps with sleep. It's not a sedative, but if you take that regularly, it will help with sleep. All right, 
just checking my time here. So mitochondrial support. This is the, these are the energy producers in the body, right? You'll see a lot of the same stuff here. So B vitamins, creatine, not just for muscles, not just for bodybuilding, Q10, carnitine, glutathione, PQQ, alpha lipoic acid, and then, so I, I just, because I don't want to speak over everyone, right? I just want you to see, can everyone see that there's the same sort of things coming up over and over, right? So when you start incorporating these types of things, what's going to happen is you're going to cover a whole bunch of ground, and you don't have to be a doctor or a practitioner or a naturopath to figure it out. Okay, you can support yourself in a broad spectrum way. I think what I'll do, because I'm recording this as a podcast, hopefully, if it's working, I'm gonna throw that, I'll put the slides underneath the podcast. Sound good? All right. If you're listening to the podcast and they're not there, don't beat me up. Cool. All right. Graphene oxide. Oh man. Can we get a little crazy here just in the last 10 minutes? I'm just gonna sort of look a little bit off into the horizon and see what's happening. Graphene oxide is not as well studied as it pertains to COVID shots. All right, so let's just get that out of the way. However, graphene oxide has been studied for 20 years, at least. And it is being investigated quite heavily in the medical space. As I said earlier, bio, I said Moderna, right? So that's what Moderna stands for. And then Pfizer, bio and tech. They're kind of like telling you what they're doing, right? I mean, bio, biology and technology coming together. So when I talk about graphene oxide and nanotechnology, for a lot of people, it sounds so crazy because it literally sounds like we're talking about, you know, something that's happening in the year 3000 and we've landed on a different planet. It's actually happening right now. These things exist, they're available, they're being used right now. And so when we look at it, this is from a paper in 2018. Graphene and graphene oxide as nanomaterials for medicine and biological or biology application. I'm showing this to you so that if you want to go and Google this stuff, the whole bunch of stuff's going to show up, right? It's not that we're thinking that it's being used, it is being used. Graphene and graphene oxide as new nanocarriers for drug delivery applications. Oh, that's interesting. Aren't we talking about lipid nanoparticles? Isn't that what we've spoken about? And the lipid nanoparticle is the carrier of information into the cell? Well, it turns out you need graphene oxide as part of that, as far as I know. This here shows you what it's involved with, and I've circled three things. Drug delivery, we know biosensing and bioimaging weird biosensing i want you to just think about that biosensing and then a scaffold for animal cell culture culture weird right i want to come back to this biosensing side of things in a minute but when you pull out some of the literature here what does it say about it superb conductivity so graphene oxide in a medical context is being used as a conductor of energy, of electricity. The delivery of anti-cancer drugs and genes. The delivery of genes? All right. And thermal, photo, and magnetic induction. 
As I said, I'm gonna get a little crazy here in the last bit. How many people have heard rumblings out there about nanotechnology in the shots and in our body? Nanotechnology, anyone? Okay, everyone, cool. So maybe you've all heard of this, right? We're okay, we're done. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, you know, when you, when you think of this, right, and then you start looking at the work of Dr. David Nixon. This is, this is taken, you can go to his website, drdavidnixon.com, you can look him up. And what he's done is he's actually bought himself a doctor, he's an MD, he's a doctor, right, an older guy, he's been in the medical field for a long time. What he did was bought himself a dark field microscope and he wanted to check all the stuff out. What does that look like? Looks a little bit like a cell phone, no? Okay. And then, look at this. So what he did, this is what's even more tripped out, right? So this is what's in there. Remember, we're not operating from fear, right? We're operating from awareness today. What he did, which is even more tripped out than just looking at this, is he actually put this stuff under a dark field microscope and then he watched it for weeks. And he just let it do its thing. And what do you know? Self-assembling technology. The scaffolding for animal cells, right? Isn't that what we just looked at? Straight from the drug manufacturers, straight from the literature. The scaffolding. Hmm. Electrical conductivity, bioconductivity. Hold up. And we can keep looking at this. All right. The good news is there's stuff we can do about it, and I have some other thoughts on this in a minute. I just want to show you these things, right? This is all stuff that's happening. And so, if I look at these things, my, my first question is, why, why? Why? Why are they in there in the first place? Anyone heard of the Internet of Things? The Internet of Bodies? That were hackable animals? that we will be interfacing with the cloud? All right. Well, everyone goes, how? How so? That's crazy conspiracy talk. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. They're telling you what they're doing. Okay, so it's not all that crazy. The question is, we're just looking at this right now, and if you pay attention to what's going on way down the line, right, start layering over things like digital IDs. Start layering on top of this health passports. Start layering AI on top of this. Okay, now the picture starts to become a little bit more crystal clear as to where this is all headed. So the good news is, is that graphene oxide itself is a heavy metal of sorts, and heavy metal chelators work really, really well. So fulvic or humic acids, zeolite, borax, selenium, cilantro, chlorella, modified citrus pectin, and activated charcoal. Okay, I want to be clear here. This is like breaking. Okay, we don't know this for sure. We're just putting our best foot forward and we're saying this is probably a good direction that's safe, that's not going to cause problems, and this is maybe a good thing to bring in. As far as the nanotechnology goes, colloidal gold. Oh. Everyone's heard of colloidal silver, right? Yeah. Colloidal gold. So what Dr. David Nixon has been doing, he's been exposing 
this nanotechnology, this self-assembling stuff, and he's been looking at it under the microscope, and then he's been trying different things to see what's going to destroy it, basically. And so far, colloidal gold is looking the best, in that it actually disintegrates and dismantles the nanotechnology. Okay? Again, this is brand new. We don't know if it's actually going to do that with us yet, right? But we have to look at everything. I believe, just to wrap things up here, I really believe that what we're dealing with here is as much energetic and spiritual as it is physical and chemical. And this is exactly why when you start looking at electromagnetic frequencies, when you look at 5G, does everyone know that you've got bands of elect electromagnetic bands that radiate from the inner core of the Earth out in seven different layers, all the way out to the moon? Okay, chakras, sure. And turns out that when you get into those outer Van Allen belts, right, way out there, you're literally in outer space, energetically speaking. And what are we doing? We're ramping up the frequency, ramping it up, ramping it up. And we're actually forgetting how to live on this Earth because our resonant frequencies are actually meant to be in this environment that we're in. And what we're doing is we're taking the energetic frequencies of the Earth, the magnetic shift, the magnetic poles are starting to shift, the electromagnetic field of the Earth is starting to change. And I think that part of that is destabilizing our climate. It's also destabilizing us as energetic beings. And that's why I truly believe that quantum energy devices, I think are gonna start to make a big, big feature Right? I did an energy medicine apprenticeship for a year. I know them very well. Things like Rife machines. But I also do believe that our spiritual development and, and coming together as a community and raising our consciousness and raising our vibration is actually going to have as big of an effect as anything else that I've spoken about today.